morning. My name is Matthew. If you've not met before, if you're visiting us this morning, then you're very, very welcome. Um, hope you enjoy being with us. If you're watching online, hope you're doing well also. Now, when I was, a, um, when I was doing my A-levels and then when I was a student, I used to work in Marks and Spencer's coffee shop and um, spend some time in all the different ones in Swansea over those years. And one summer, I came back from uni, and I'd never worked in this particular... I was working in the one in town, you know, upstairs. It's like a four-story... It's the big one in town, isn't it? So I was working in the coffee shop upstairs, and I hadn't been there before. And um, towards the end of the summer, one, my old manager from my old store, she came and became the manager there. And I used to do a stock take in the previous one, and they weren't doing it in this store everywhere. So she asked me, would I do a stock take for them? And it, was, it happened to be my last shift before going back to uni. So I was at the end of the shift, just doing the stock take, and I think the store would close at like six o'clock or something, and usually the staff would leave by seven. But the stock take takes a very long time. So I was nearly, I was right at the end of it, and I was up on the cafe by myself at this point, and I was, uh, the lights were still on, the music was still on in the store, and I was typing in the numbers into the like, little handheld thing. And then all of a sudden, the lights, by this time it's about 10 past seven, the lights went off. And I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> so I quickly stood up, and suddenly all the lights came back on again. And I was thinking, oh, phew, right, I better be quick. So I ran back to, the, I had finished, but I ran back, put the computer away, grabbed my stuff out of my locker, uh, went down, you know, all the way down, 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 got to the back door, and it was locked. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. I was like, there's no... There's no way they would have left without me. <laughs> so I went back through the store. Couldn't see anyone at the other door. So I went to every department on every floor in every room on the store and, and realized there was no one in this building. <laughs> and I have been locked into Marks and Spencer's. And then at that point, as I kind of listened, so the music was still playing. This is what I did get. As I went to kind of like the, one of the kind of back doors, I get here an alarm ringing, and they got these silent alarms that they don't ring inside, but they do ring outside. So I'm stuck now. This is like pre-smartphone days. So I get my phone, I ring 118118, do you remember them? Um, I, I hadn't been there all that long, and I had to ring, I was like, can I have the number for the head office of Marks and Spencers? And I had to, you know, go through, go through, go through, it took ages, and eventually got through to someone who was like, yeah, I've been locked into the store, they like, they didn't believe me at first, I don't know, really, like, no one else is here, and I'm locked in, I can hear the alarm going off outside, so they're like, oh, right, okay, so, you know, they put me on hold, blah, blah, blah. then someone comes on the line, and they go, okay, what you need to do, you need to go to the front windows, and you need to stand there because the kind of what would happen only the police might come and uh, they won't, um, they said what they'll do is they'll, they might smash the door in and they'll let dogs into the store. <laughs> I got my day, what is going on? So now I gotta go to the front of the, you know, the, where the main doors are, the windows which are in the street. So I'm standing there with like my rucksack. <laughs> People are walking past. They can hear the alarms, like, and then they can see someone in there. Like a little crowd is gathering, like pointing and laughing. And I'm just standing there waiting for maybe the police to arrive and release dogs in. And then, fortunately, maybe like an hour or so, it was ages, like an hour or so later, the caretaker comes back, not very happy, <laughs> opens up. We have a little chat about what happened. So I, I go then, 
and then I heard that they were there till the early hours of the morning resetting all the alarms because like every room and every door is alarmed and because I went round the whole store <laughs> I set them all off it was like over 200 alarms <laughs> and they had to reset them all <laughs> so I still can't believe that happened to me so anyway that was my last shift so I did see them then and then I came back, and at Christmas, I worked there again at Christmas, and I was hoping that, like, people would have forgotten who it was and what had happened, but the first day I walked in, and it was like, you know, obviously, you're the guy who set up all the alarms, so for a little while, I was known as the guy who got locked into Marks and Spencer's, I still can't believe I have it, who got locked into Marks and Spencer's and set off all the burglar alarms, so that was my reputation for a little while, so anyway, last week, I started like a two, oh, sorry, two weeks ago, I started like a two-part talk on uh, peace and how, as followers, Jesus, as followers of Jesus, I was, we were thinking about, you know, what are the things that Jesus said that we would be known for? Oh, is it not working, is it? It's a bit echoey, is it? There we are. Is that, yep, okay, great. Oh, that is better, isn't it? Oh, lovely. Now then. Um, what would we be, yeah, we were thinking about, as followers of Jesus, you know, what would we be known for, as well as, again, like, locked into buildings? So, we'd be known as people, you know, who love others, people who serve, uh, Jesus said, about being salt and light. And we saw how one of them was that we'd be known as a people of peace. So, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And to be like a people of peace who live with peace within us and extend peace to others was kind of like a hallmark of uh, Jesus at work in our lives. And the first thing is that Jesus, he wants to give us his peace. And Chloe mentioned this in the worship. This is what we looked at last week. Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And we looked at how this is, you know, it's an amazing gift that in the ups and downs of life in all different circumstances, that the peace that Jesus gives us is like a solid foundation that we can build our lives on and empowers us and strengthens us with all that we face. So if you missed part one and you want to, you know, it's a really great gift that Jesus has for us and kind of unpack it together. So you can have a little look at that on our YouTube if you want to. But today we're looking at that as well as receiving this amazing peace, now out of that we are called to extend peace to others and to live in peace with others. And there's this verse that's kind of been living with me over the past, like, few weeks, which I've been thinking about, where it says this. In Romans 12, verse 8, it says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Or another way it's sometimes put is, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And Paul, who was writing this um, in the Bible, he wrote a letter to a church in Rome, and this is the first few decades after Jesus' life on the earth. And the church there was like a mix of all different people in, you know, different social groups. You had slaves, free people, uh, Jews, people who weren't Jews, different cultures coming together. And this was like really unique for people to mix together from like different backgrounds and be a part of something together, kind of socially and bonded together and as equals. That was really, really unusual in society at the time. It was really, like, revolutionary. And also, there was a, it was a time of real, like, social upheaval and political unrest. And so Paul is writing, and he says, in your life together as a church, where you've got all different types of people mixing together and being one together, and with all this going on in your society, so, like, with your neighbors, in your life together and with your neighbors, in your city, in your community, 
if at possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so why is that? Why are we called to live in peace with others? Why does Jesus see it as like an important hallmark, an identifier of his followers? Well, firstly, isn't it great when our relationships are at peace, when they're working well, whether it's with our housemates or our school friends or our colleagues or in family life? Isn't it great when things are working well together and there's peace and harmony and unity and people are for one another and they give each other the benefit of the doubt and we're accommodating and happy to help People are truthful in their speech and in their actions. When people, you know, we own up to our mistakes and say sorry quickly. When people don't always have to get their own way but can compromise and get on board with decisions of the team or the leader and pull together and work together in the same direction. And maybe you've been in a group or a team or a place where it's really, you know, and you can think, oh, yeah, when I was with, you know, this work or this place or that team, it was really like that. And, you know, it was a great culture and a great environment. And it was, you know, so much fun and life and for one another. And it's even in, you know, everyday family life. I remember as a teenager, my mum sometimes would call what she liked to call a family conference. And as teenagers... Like, sometimes we would knock ourselves out when we rolled our eyes uh, at the thought of a family conference. But basically, when there was like a, sorry, mum, but when there was like a, a decision to be made or something to be discussed or, you know, when there was like, you know, different plans that everyone had and you couldn't get to all of them and you had to make a decision about which, which things are we going to do this weekend or in the days before iPads and catch-up when you could like only watch one thing on the TV and you had to like choose one thing that would be watched between you all, or on a Sunday morning, who's going to use the bathroom at what time, and who's going to get a lie-in, and who's going to have to get up extra early so we can all get in and out on time, and you'd have to come to a decision and compromise, and then as a teenager, you'd have to make the choice, are you going to go with it and join in and make the best of it, or are you going to be moody all weekend because you didn't get your own way, isn't it, and you've got to make the choice, so even in family life, you've got to do this together. And don't you find that when, you know, when there's peace, that even if there's challenges or something goes wrong or something's difficult, you've got to work on something hard, that when there's peace in the group, there's still room for life and fun and laughter and you feel like you're in it together and you're working through it together and it brings you together and there's so much positivity and life and togetherness there. Whereas on the flip side, isn't it unpleasant when there isn't peace? You know, when there isn't peace in the team or the group, and even if you're in the, you could be in the best place, doing the best thing, doing the thing that you love, but when it's not right amongst the people, it robs it of all its joy, doesn't it? It really takes the joy out of it. In Proverbs, it says this, better to eat vegetables with people you love than to eat the finest meat where there is hate. Or this, I put a second one in here in case you are vegetarian or vegan, where it says, it is better to eat a dry crust of bread in, in peace than to have a feast where there is quarreling. Isn't that true? Now, it's interesting that Paul says, when he writes to the church in Rome, he says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, Jesus, when we saw the peace that Jesus gives us, we saw how it's a gift and it's not dependent on our circumstances, that whether we're facing hard times or good times, his peace is there for us, you know, in spite sometimes of what we're going through and it empowers us with what we're going through. And likewise, thinking about living in peace with others, you know, there are also like, there are many things out of our control, isn't it? 
But it says here that we don't have to wait for the circumstances to change or the culture to change or for others to change first, but we are responsible for our actions and our attitude and our response and our output where we find ourselves. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this brings us kind of to the second reason why we're called to live in peace with others is because as followers of Jesus, we are ambassadors of Jesus, that we represent him in the places where we are and the places that we live and the groups that we belong to. We are Christians, and the name, the kind of the name of that, you mean little, little Christs, like little Jesuses. You know, we carry his name and we represent him. And in some places and in some groups, we might be the only Christian that some people get to know on a personal level. And so how we treat others and live with others is of great value and of great significance. When I was working on this um, team in Marks and Spencer's on the coffee shop, you know, we, we had a really great team and we had a lot of fun and it was often very busy and uh, we, you know, we'd look out for each other and help each other out. And if you've worked in hospitality, you know that over time, as well as you get to know each other on the team, you get to know the regulars. And most of the regulars were really friendly. They'd like to come in, they'd have a little chat. Some would uh, take an interest in you and they'd ask you, oh, you know, what else are you doing? And if, when they find out, oh, you're doing your A-levels, they'd be like, oh, how are things going? They'd check on you, oh, how did the exam go? And they'd take an interest. And, you know, that would really, like, brighten up your day and brighten up your shift. Because also, unfortunately, some of the regulars could sometimes be quite rude and unpleasant. And um, I used to often work like the early evening shift, like four till eight. So you'd have people coming like straight on their way home from work. I think sometimes maybe they had like a stressful day and you were like the lightning rod, like the first person they saw on their way home that they would like take it all out on you. But as a team, you would like get to know who to look out for and, you know, you would might see some people coming in and you'd quickly shift, uh, swap who's on the till. And uh, I used to find as well that they, you know, because I, I was there a little while, so by the end I was maybe like 21, 22, there were some of, you know, the 16-year-olds would always get it in the neck the most. And I feel, you know, maybe it was easier to shout at like a 16-year-old girl than it was to, you know, a 22-year-old man, I don't know. So we would try and like look out for each other and swap. But what we found as well, what I noticed is that it didn't really matter what the issue was. If the coffee was cold or there was a long queue or we were being slow or we'd run out of someone's favorite cake, the friendly regulars would ask or complain or, you know, make a request in a friendly way. And the rude regulars, they would ask and criticize and complain in a rude way and an angry way. And it didn't matter what the issue was, the responses would be different. For us, in the places where we are regulars, and I just mean like the coffee shops we go to or something like that, but in the people groups we belong to, how are we known? What's our character like in the team or the group? How are we treating others? And don't mishear me, I'm not saying that we build our lives based on what other people think about us. You know what I mean? We can't do that, but we can take Jesus' call for our lives and like this scripture here, this verse where it says, you know, do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. And we can reflect on it on our lives and look over our lives and think, how am I living this out? And invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to shape us and to kind of healthily reflect on how that looks like in our lives. In the Psalms, in Psalm 139, it says this, 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way within me and lead me along the path to everlasting life. Sometimes God almost like wants to put his finger on something in our lives that, you know, it isn't helping us. Maybe it isn't helping us or it isn't helping others. And he wants to empower us and to help us to walk in a way that's more helpful, that brings blessing to us and blessing to others as well, to lead us in that path of everlasting life and to come alongside us and help us on that journey. And I think that this, think about living in peace. For us right now in 2024, I think this is a really significant calling for us and an important part of our identity of what it means to be followers of Jesus. And I want to encourage us almost to put this into action and to have a look and just to think, what does living in peace with others look like in my situation? And ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to show us and to help us to be a person of peace, that we extend peace, that we live within a peace and we extend peace to others. Let me be a carrier of the love of Jesus for others, other people. Let me see people, Jesus, how you see them. And as far as it depends on me, where is possible, help me to live in peace with others. So as we think about that, um, there's this great passage in the book of James, which is like really practical, and I think it's really helpful, kind of put some meat on the bones to kind of help us think about what that might look like. And I'm just going to hit a few headlines. I don't want to be like too prescriptive because we're all in different places, aren't we? And it's going to work out and look different, if you like, for each one of us. But here's a few kind of headlines. And as we kind of think about this for our lives, there may be one or two things in there. You think, oh, yeah, that's quite helpful. That's quite useful for me. Actually, yeah, you know, I think I could take that on board and that might really help me where I am. Does that sound okay? Okay, so James, first of all, this little passage here. So James, the book of James is in the New Testament. And it's one of the earliest letters, uh, it's one of the earliest books in the New Testament in terms of when it was written, and it was a letter to Christians in the early church, and James was one of Jesus' brothers, and he was a church leader in Jerusalem, and he was writing to Jewish Christians who had been persecuted for their faith, and had ended up having to flee and run away, and were now living in other countries in the surrounding areas to kind of, you know, escape, uh, because they were being threatened. And so he's now encouraging them that where they are now and with all that they've been through, how can they live and how do they respond where they find themselves now and as followers of Jesus? So this is one little bit where he says, he says this, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of good things. And so firstly here, what James is saying, talking about wisdom, is kind of like the way, you know, that we can live our lives for the benefit of us and for others. And he says that the wisdom that comes from heaven, so firstly, he says this is a wisdom that comes from heaven. And so living this way, it's not just trying to like, it's not just waking up and trying to be nicer. I'll be like, right, I'm going to start Monday and I'm going to be nicer to people today <laughs> and kind of just try to will ourselves into being nicer. But it starts with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. It's a gift from heaven that when we welcome Jesus into our lives and we welcome more of the Holy Spirit into our lives, it's he within us who empowers us 
who motivates us, who moves us from within, strengthens us from within to live like Jesus. And it's like it comes from the inside out, not trying to muster up something, but it is a gift that comes from him and motivates us and stirs us from the inside out. And then our role is to partner with the Holy Spirit and put his promptings into action. I was listening to a podcast a little while ago. It was an interview with these two ladies, Mariam and Marzia. And they were two young women from Iran, and they found faith in Jesus. And um, they became Christians, and they'd gone to Turkey, and they felt God prompt them to go back to Iran and to share their faith where they could. And it was really dangerous because that's kind of illegal. And um, they would hand out Bibles, and they would share their faith where they could, and they started some house churches. And after some time, maybe four years, uh, or a few years, um, they got like found out and followed, and they were arrested. And they were put into prison, and they were in Evin Prison, which is like a notorious prison. And they were there for four years, and they were threatened with execution on multiple occasions, And in this interview, they were talking about how they were treated and how they were treated by the guards and how at first as well, how they were treated distrustfully and not very nicely by their fellow prisoners. And this is what they said. This is a little bit from their interview when they were talking about it. They say how, they said, prayer was the only thing that helped us and strengthened us. Sometimes we couldn't even pray in Farsi, our language. We didn't even know how. Many times we were praying in tongues. We witnessed power in prayers, especially in difficulties. We could see the miracles of God every day, and it made our faith stronger. We didn't have a Bible with us in prison, but every day it's like we could touch God. We could touch Bible verses inside the prison because we were living them. We learned how to forgive our enemies. We remembered how Jesus forgives our sins and how he suffered for us. And they talk about that that inner peace that we talked about last time, how you know they're in this horrific situation, but in prayer, God strengthened them with this inner peace. And then how they began to pray for their fellow guards, for the guards and their fellow prisoners. And rather than kind of retreating within themselves or praying for their escape, they began to pray for others and the Holy Spirit was empowering them. So they said this, at first we were praying for our release, but after a few days we realized that by meeting other women in the prison, some who were homeless or addicts, God had given us an opportunity to share the message of Christianity with people who needed to hear it the most. And Mariam says, we just tried to love them. And this had a great effect on most prisoners and even the guards. And they have these amazing stories of praying for people and seeing healing, seeing miracles, leading people to Jesus. And even the guards would come to them and ask them to pray for them. They would come with their questions. They were saying how you know, churches across the world heard about it and would write in letters of support, but the letters would never reach them, but the guards would open the letters. They would hear people writing things and sharing verses and, you know, talk about Jesus, and they would go and they'd be asking them questions about Jesus and about the things that were in the letters that they weren't allowed to see themselves. And they got these amazing stories. I mean, their story is, you know, it's a story of it's courage beyond else, isn't it? You know, and it's challenging and it's inspiring, but it shows the power of praying for others. It shows the power as we pray for others. You know, Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You Now, for us in our day-to-day, you know, we probably 
don't really feel like we have enemies or, you know, may, I don't know. Um, but we may not put it in that way. But we all have our own challenges and difficulties and things to negotiate and to work through and people to work with and that kind of stuff, isn't it? And, it, you know, it's obviously not as extreme as this. But when we pray for others, it transforms our perspective. It invites the Holy Spirit to work in our lives in the situation and it empowers us to see others how Jesus sees them. That this person or these people or this group, they are a people, they are someone who is loved by Jesus and someone that Jesus died for, someone that Jesus cares for, someone that Jesus wants to bless, someone that Jesus wants to rescue. And here I am standing next to this person or whatever we've got to work on together or get through, Jesus loves them. And here I am as a follower of Jesus standing next to them. And we can pray that people would be blessed and would know Jesus. And when we do that, we begin to see people the way that Jesus does, and we begin to invite the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and through our lives as we meet with others. And it helps us in the second thing that James says here, which is to be considerate. That, you know, it's a simple thing, isn't it, that we learn as we grow up, that in our words and in our actions, before we speak or before we type, that we consider the feelings and the thoughts of others and how that's going to land, and that we're considerate. And then number three, this is a great one, willing to yield to others. And this is such a great character trait, and it comes from a place of strength. It can sound like it's a weak thing, but being willing to yield to others, it comes from a place of strength. The ability to say sorry, that when we're in the wrong, whether it's something big or small, that we don't deflect or blame elsewhere or turn it back on the other person. But when we recognize that, actually, do you know what? Even if someone else is partly to blame, but if part of it, I should, you know, was down to me, then we just say sorry. That when we're at fault, you know, we can say sorry. That's such a powerful thing and such a great skill and character trait. And then secondly, the ability to not always have to get everything our own way. But, you know, when we have that capacity to listen to cooperate, to maintain a good attitude in the moments where, you know, we might have done things differently, but, you know, that's the way the group or the team or wherever it's going, that we can be willing to yield to the others and support and get along board and do things. That's such a great skill and uh, character trait. I remember a number of years ago chatting with a football coach who had, like, played at a really high level, and now he was coaching, uh, like, an under-12s or under-13s team, and he had a really good player on the team. And so he'd arranged for a scout from like West Ham or something. This guy lived in London uh, to come and watch a game. And he, this lad was the captain of the team. And he, in this match, he was going to put him, I think, at like defense, sorry for football, if you're not into football, he's going to put him in center back or defensive midfield because he, he was the captain and he wanted this lad to be able to like see the whole game and have a, like a, a real influence on the game that they were playing in. So that's where he put him. When he announced the team, the lad's dad came over before the game and was like, I want my boy to be the striker. I want him to be playing up front. And the coach kind of explained, you know, why he was putting him in this position and et cetera. I don't know if the dad knew the scout was there, um, but the dad was adamant, no, he's going to be the striker or he's not playing at all. And so he took his boy and he marched him off the field and he took him home. Isn't that tragic? You know, and... Uh, being willing to not always get our own way. So it's such a, you know, to be able to yield is so crucial in those moments. And that brings us to the third thing, which is to respect and cooperate with those who are in positions of authority in our lives, whether it's a boss at work or a teacher or our 
um, lecturer or our parents or our coach or anything of that nature. And this is a theme that runs right throughout the Bible. And the Bible speaks of it quite seriously. So Paul, in this book to the Romans, uh, Roman, he says to them, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And you can almost see that outplay, what happened with that little lad and the coach and the dad, you know. And we haven't got time to kind of unpack what that means. But obviously, it doesn't mean that, you know, if something's wrong or illegal or abusive or there's unhealthy, you know, expectations or boundaries in like a, um, from an authority figure that we don't say something or, you know, speak up and we blindly follow things that are wrong. It doesn't mean that. The Bible's full of those examples as well. You know, when we did the Moses series and Pharaoh commanded the midwives to to kill the baby boys when they were born, and the midwives, they knew that was wrong, so they didn't do it, isn't it? And they they hid them or they helped them, and, you know, that was the right thing to do. So, you know, we got lots of examples of that. But this is talking about, you know, in our ordinary day-to-day, in the ordinary things, when things are happening normally and rightly as they do, that in our actions, in our speech, that we honor those in positions of leadership, where we find ourselves in work or other, you know, in church life or family life or wherever, that we honor them, that we respect them, that we don't stir up trouble. It's like, what's the opposite of a peacemaker is a troublemaker. And we don't want to be troublemakers. We want to be peacemakers, that we don't gossip and undermine, that we don't have the meeting after the meeting, but that we are respectful and we're on board and we do things in the right way. And that brings us to the next one, where James says about always being sincere that we're a people of integrity and truth, that when we need to resolve something, we do it the right way and we go to the person or the appropriate person or the appropriate process that might be in place, that we really want to find resolution and solve a problem and make things better. And we're not just looking for places and people where we can vent our frustration or dislike of someone or, you know, get something off my chest to whoever will listen. But actually, we want to be, we want to build up and not tear down. We want to go to the right people in the right processes so we can resolve things and make things better and be peacemakers and constructive where we find ourselves. And then finally, the last one, James says, sorry, it's a bit of a list, but hopefully it's helpful. He says that this wisdom is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. Another kind of version, it summarizes it as that it is approachable. And I'll be grateful for those people in our lives that are approachable and willing to help. And when we can go to them and, you know, if they can't do it, they say, oh, look, I can't, but I'm busy or I can't, you know, and and that's fine. But when they can, they do so willingly. They help us willingly and cheerfully and not begrudgingly, but they're approachable and they're generous and they're kind and they're helpful and they're willing to help when they're able. Aren't those great? Aren't we thankful for those people in our lives And we all know those people that, you know, we go to, isn't it? And we're really grateful for them. And aren't these great character traits um, in our lives and in the people that we know? And isn't this who Jesus is to us as well? Aren't these the character traits of Jesus? That he is sincere and truthful and full of mercy and and good deeds and sincere and peace-loving and considerate, and even willing to yield in the sense that he would come into our world and give his life for us on the cross, that he would humble himself and take the position of a servant and a slave so that we could be rescued and brought into his family. And now he lives within us and he empowers us to be peacemakers in our world, you know, on our street, in our family, with our friends, in our workplace, to be a people 
of peace and love and kindness and consideration and willing to yield and to show mercy and full of good deeds. What an amazing, wonderful thing. And the last thing it says here, I don't forgot on the slide, but it says at the bottom, oh, that's not my alarm, but I'm almost finished. It says, and those who are peacemakers who plant seeds like this will reap a harvest of good things that it brings blessing to us and blessing to others. So this year, 2024, let's, you know, it's not like we're not doing these things already, but I think, well, let's take on these attributes together and be a people who are peacemakers. Let that be our calling where we are. And let's see what God will do with us and through us in our life as we sow these seeds together. Are you up for that? I'm excited by it. I think it's a, a wonderful thing to do. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for your great love for our lives, and I thank you for all these wonderful character traits that we see in Jesus and that he has done for us. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are with us and you have filled us with your peace and your love and your kindness and grace and that you empower us by your Holy Spirit to be peacemakers in our world right where we are. And I pray would you help us and empower us to be a people of peace, that that's how we would be known and that we would see the fruit of these um, seeds of peace, that it would be a blessing in our lives and a blessing to others. And we would see um, your love and your goodness and your plans for people prosper around us. In Jesus' name, amen.